It's boss time. Welcome everybody to the Mandalorian podcast here on Rogue Opinions. That's right, it's the episode where Sasha Banks' character gets uh, introduced into the Star Wars universe. I know there'll be a lot of people excited that we're talking about Sasha Banks and thankfully for that weird community on, on Twitter, we're going to only say positive things about Sasha Banks here on this podcast <laughs> because she's very good in this episode. This is Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 3, Chapter 11, The Heiress, and it's going to be a good one as well, thankfully the rest of the season is we've we're thankfully leaving behind the, the frog lady on this episode, literally. Mando drops her off and buggers off. But joining me uh, this week, as he is all the time, I don't know why I said this week specifically, is uh, Carl Pearson. Hello, yeah. It's, uh, the Bailey to Scott Sasha Banks. I was going to make you the, the Sasha in this conversation. I was going to say you were the Costa Riza, third character to my Bo-Katan, but you know, you please yourself. <laughs> I've downgraded myself. <laughs> Who wants to be Bailey? I mean, come on. She's great. Ding dong. Hello. Uh, uh, I think I'm a bit confused when I said uh, join me this week, Kids Car, because, you know, we're recording this on a Friday. I've had a long week at work. So uh, I'm celebrating being off the weekend. If you don't know the camp, the microphone will pick this up. Ah, there we go. Yeah, it's. The weekend, <laughs> the drink is flowing. Uh, I shouldn't. I'm passing over the the wheels of the the Razor Crest today. To Carl, I can't be caught flying a spaceship under the influence again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got a, got a six six month spaceship ban last time. I can't afford any more points on my license. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but. We'll delve into the uh, plot of the episode. I'll give a quick rundown of what happens. And yeah, then we'll delve into it in more detail. Like, that's really... uh, like I said, this is Chapter 11, The Heiress, uh, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, who directed Episode 4 of Season 1, the uh, Sanctuary episode. And also it's written by John Farber, as <laughs> most episodes are. Uh, we have Mando, along with the Frog Lady and the Child, uh, arriving on track. And that's putting it nicely because they basically they they're having issues with the ship because it's still damaged after what happened in the last episode. And so they're coming in really hot, and they look like they're going to completely manage to land on the platform, and then the engines go to it goes sideways into the water on track as uh, as one calamari, which is the same species as uh, Admiral Akbar from the original trilogy, just watches all and just shakes his head and disgust and. Mando, once the, once the ship has been fixed at the war, basically pays the guy to basically salvage the ship as best he can. Uh, Mando meets uh, the Frog Lady's husband. They, you know, they have a re- reunion, and Mando asks about the Mandalorian. He points them in the direction of the inn, where Mando then has to pay for further information to meet a guy who's claiming he can ship, take him on a boat to meet the Mandalorian. So really, this Frog Lady and her husband are no help because. And okay, I just stop being told, go to trash, pay this guy, and go meet these people. Because really, they always seen the frog people had no real bearing on the plot whatsoever. And I don't mean to carry on the same negativity from last week, but it was just when I watched this episode, it realized, made me realise why it was so pointless. That being said, <laughs> uh, off in the shadows, Costco Reeves, played by Sasha Banks, is watching, and we don't really know who she is at the time. Obviously, we know it's, it's Sasha Banks. This clip was shown in the trailers. And given the cloak and given that 
over the top of that, you had the uh, the armor talking about the history between Mandalorians and Jedi. A lot of people were quick to jump on the idea of Sasha potentially being a Jedi. But Mandalorian goes into the inn and pays for information. And uh, a, a, a boatman has species that are known as the Quarren. Uh, I don't really know the difference, the names of these two species among Kara and the Quarren. Is there was a whole arc at the start of season four of, uh, of Clone Wars about them being at war with each other. That's the kind of shit I seem to retain. But, you, you're uh, just a giant nerd, really. I've just got that. Let's face that. <laughs> you know, what? although the, I think the third episode of this art, of that art, showed how at times the Clone Wars aren't always perfect because then they had to bring in the Gungans to help the Jedi and the Long Calamari. So you know, there were times where the Clone Wars weren't entirely perfect from the prequels. <laughs> but I digress, as I said. Yeah, so the Corn says to Mando that you know he's seen others of his kind. And they can take him to him. They're only a few hours away, but it would cost them. And so, Mando is on the, the boat with them. They're catching some fish to, to feed to what they're calling a mama core. You don't really get, you see the teeth in the mouth of it, but you don't really get a good look at the, the creature. And it says, and he and the child get quite close to where they're keeping it. And then they push the child and him in with it. The thing tries to swallow the, the child, but it's likely the, the thing he's been, it floats around carrying him in. Uh, protect them, at least for a while. Uh, they try to drown Mando so they can steal his best car from him. And that's when he's saved by uh, a group known as the Night Owls, which is Bo-Katan, played by Katie Sackhoff, Goskarees, played by Fashion Sissid, and Axe Wolf, I think it's what he's pronounced this character's name, played by Simon. I should have really spelled this name out. I can't remember. He's, I can't pronounce his second name right now, but it's a hard one to pronounce. And you know, I'm not really going to make the effort because he's easily the most forgettable yeah. of the three. I, I was going to say he's he's pretty forgettable, to be honest. Yeah, he he's, he out of three kind of fades into the background, but you know, Mando is, is quite hesitant when he sees them because, like, he doesn't believe that they're real Mandalorians because they've removed their helmets. And Wilkinson says, "Oh, I'm, this armor's been my family for three generations. I'm from I'm of Clan Kreef," and says that like you're you're raised by those of the Watch. You know, they're religious zealots and that's why you believe so heavily in this you know not taking off your helmet and Mando just you know, immediately doesn't want their help but then they managed to save him from some more corn who were annoyed about you know the other corns getting killed when the metals came to save Mando uh, they come to his rescue again and they offer to buy him a drink and that's where Bo tells him that she can lead him to a Jedi if he helps them take down the ship which is really carrying black market weapons that they can use to help take back Mandalore. And Bose feels that she's the rightful person to rule Mandalore. And so Mando leaves the child with the frog people, uh, where the child learns not to eat the frog eggs, because it's not an accident. <laughs> uh, so both Dan and Mando on their team, they, they take the ship, and they, they, but then, Mando, but then Mando discovers that they're not just there for the weapons, they're there for the whole ship. And they want to use this to help take back Mando, or Mando doesn't like her changing the terms of the deal. The, uh, the, the ship captain, who uh, the guy actor plays him, is quite well known. I believe he's, he's in that TV show Bosch that's on Amazon, and in, among many other things. My own dad really liked that show Bosch, but he's not. He's really just he's just you no know, credited as you no know, ship commander, and that's but he messages uh, Moff Gideon, and who basically says, "Well, we've taken that much of the ship. You know, you know what you need to do." So the captain basically shoots the two guys that's in the cockpit with him, 
and then try to crash the ship before they can take it over, but that fails. And Bo-Katan holds a knife to him, basically asking where Moff Gideon and the Dark Saber are. Finally picking up that storyline again, which I think people might have forgotten by that point, because also there hadn't been any mention of the Dark Saber since it was shown by Moff Gideon at the end of the season one finale. Uh, and then the guy takes a bit of electric like, capsule to kill himself before you know he tells them anything they want to know. Uh, then Mando leaves after Bo-Katan tells him that he can find Ahsoka Tano on the forest planet of Corvus and you know, he says that the offer is always open to join us if you change your mind. Uh, Mando picks up the child and the ship is quite damaged still. But you know, the guy did the best he could. He promised he could make it fly again and it does. And uh, Mando says to the child, you know, I know where I'm taking you now but it's going to be a bumpy ride. So they don't get to meet Ahsoka in the very, in the very next episode. We have to wait another episode after that. But uh, they have to do make a bit stop for season, episode four, which is a fun episode in itself. But, you know, there's a lot to digest there. I'll talk more about who Bo-Katan is uh, a bit later on, because there's a lot to digest in her character. But, uh, Carl, a good episode to go back on. And we were talking beforehand about, you said probably because so much happened. But I remember not feeling this episode was particularly long. It's actually uh, 36 minutes, which if you shave off obviously the, the end credits and how long they take, uh, it's around just over 30 minutes, but a lot happening in those 30 minutes. Yeah, it's uh, a vast improvement on the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of my favourite episodes overall so far. It really sort of introduces um, some con- continuity from uh, the likes of uh, Star, the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. And it sort of shows how the Mandalorians slot an end to the whole expanded Star Wars universe, which is really cool to see. And stuff like um, the Dark Saber and Bo-Katan still, still looking, still looking for it after all these years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because I think she was, I think she was one of the people that hold the Dark Saber towards the end of Rebels. Because the whole thing about them uh, taking back Mandalore towards the end of uh, the Rebels run. And yeah, Sabine Wren, who was part of the Rebels team, one point wielded it, but then gave it to Bo-Katan because she didn't think she was worthy of it. Uh, but I don't think they ever, I don't think they've explained how it got from her to Moff Gideon, which maybe that's one of the things they can expand upon in season uh, in season three of uh, the show. Given that you know the child seemingly won't be around for season three more, and that when we get to the finale. But I remember going into the season. Uh, also, I mean, you and I also being wrestling fans, uh, with a lot of excitement with Sasha Banks uh, appearing as part of the show, given now how big our mainstream this show was. And Jimmy and I talked about it at the time when the episode had came out and Sasha was openly talking about it in interviews. That how, it's shown how out of the mainstream wrestling kind of falling, especially WWE, when uh, Sasha Banks claims that the uh, people behind Mandalorian thought, wanted her for the show after seeing her on Hot One. Yeah, apparently so. And uh, it was John Favreau who sort of DM'd her personally to invite her to be on be on the show. So uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah her little YouTube show got garnered her more attention than uh, being on the wrestling by all accounts. But um, I think I think she doesn't have a great deal today. But I don't think she was. 
terrible considering it was her, it's her first acting gig. I think mm-hmm. she's I think she has slightly more memorable um slightly more memorable sort of take and presence on the season finale, which obviously we'll mm-hmm. get to when we do that episode. But yeah, and if people are wondering, non wrestling fans are wondering uh, who the hell Shasha Banks is? She's actually credited on a real name, uh, Mercedes Verando or something like yeah, that, isn't know. it? So yeah, yeah but- so, so yeah, that's that's who Shasta Banks is. If you're not too sure, it's uh, Mercedes. Yeah, yeah, it's credited Mercedes Verdano. And uh, I remember when the episode aired, you had Sasha, you know, pausing the TV and taking a selfie of herself with her name credited in the background on the TV. And it just goes to show that she's kind of a, a nerd for this as well. So obviously she was keen to be a part of the Star Wars universe, no matter what the, her smaller role may be, as you said. But I think she plays it well for the amount of screen time. They've had that she's more, she has probably as many lines of you know, one or two more than the, the third member of the group. That guy I mentioned who's quite forgettable. We have had that she stands out, not just because we already know who she is, but we've had that she stands out of the three more than he does. I think it's a compliment to her. Obviously, out of the three, Bo-Katan is the main focus because she's an established Star Wars character. She's being played by Katie Sackhoff, who I didn't know at the time voiced her in the animated series as well. And it's that it's one of those very rare cases of somebody falling on that role, you know, from voiceover to live action or vice versa, because, you know, we've talked about Ming Na Wen and season one, how she's basically doing it the opposite way. Yeah, this it's a really nice touch that they've uh, managed to acquire the the same actor who who did the voice in mm-hmm. um, Clone Wars, and she's you know even before doing that she's an established actress who's been in loads of stuff. Uh, the Galactica she was in, and um, <laughs> Twenty Four, and tons of other stuff she's she's <laughs> appeared in, and they even made her look like the character from the. The animated series as well with the, the sort of the red barb and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in the animated show it's slightly more. It looks more orange, or I mean, it's a lighter color. But you know, again, like you got to credit the accuracy that they went for. And in case Akko has talked about how up for it she was when they talked about bringing her in, because like she started playing the character. She, she first appeared, I think, as Bookshine around about season three or so of. Of Reb, of uh, sorry, of Clone Wars. The Clone Wars would have started in 2008, so that would have been around 2010, 2011. And then she appeared occasionally in that show, appeared, had a handful of episodes in Rebels. And then she's even said this might be the character I've played for the longest like period of time, uh, which is which says something, and also it has some sort of attachment to her. But I didn't know that Gaze Echo played her, and I didn't know a lot about Bogota at the time of first watching the episode because I hadn't gotten to her yet in the Clone Wars. And so I just saw the short with the very dark red hair. And let's see what age our listeners are. They get this reference. I've seen the short bob hair. I was just like, ah, she's going for the astronomer from Power Rangers and Space Look there, has she? <laughs> but I hadn't even watched Clone Wars at all at this point. So none of this meant much to me when on my mm-hmm. first watch. Um, I didn't realize who both. The, the importance of the Bo-Katan character and um, the Night Owls. I have no idea about the Dark Saber or or anything like that. This was the, the episode that sort of convinced me that perhaps I need to go back and watch the Clone Wars to get a bit more backstory and a, a better idea of of what's going on. And it was well worth 
me doing that. So if mm. um, you're a fan and a bit perplexed on some of the things that have happened in Mandalorian because they're sort of following on from the Clone Wars, and I, I do recommend going to going back and watching those. I mean, I'm I'm a 41 year old bloke, and I I found I still find it an enjoyable uh, series. And mm-hmm. uh, if you can't be arsed going back and watching the Clone Wars, then uh, I prepared some notes for you to get like give you an idea of who Bo-Katan is. And if you're planning on actually watching it, then uh, spoilers ahead for let's say the next two minutes. Get ahead two minutes now. So yeah, she says her name is uh, Bo-Katan Kreez because her sister uh, Satine Kreez was the Duchess of Mandalore. She ruled the planet in the Clone Wars. And they made a big thing right, of Mandalore wanting to stay very neutral in amongst the war. They didn't want to pick sides between the Separatists and the Republic. And Satine also they implied a relationship between her in the past and Obi-Wan Kenobi. But obviously, the whole thing in the Star Wars, you've seen it with Anakin and Padme and the prequels, the whole thing of Jedi not being allowed to form emotional attachments. Bo-Katan was first introduced as kind of a villain almost. She was a part of a group called the Death Watch, who were basically trying to take over Mandalore and they were more violent. They were once more dressed in the Mandalorian armour. And uh, I make a mention before, their leader, Pre Vizsla, was actually voiced by uh, John Favreau. So it's kind of funny that he's the one who's came on to uh, create this Mandalorian show and then bring her into it. But eventually uh, they went into business with uh, Darth Maul and they formed this whole criminal enterprise and they tried to basically start all this criminal activity on Mandalore to make the team look bad and Previsal look good by the Death Watch coming in and stopping them. But eventually, Darth Maul betrays them, kills Previsla, and then uses the team to lure Obi-Wan Kenobi to Mandalore. And again, a bigger spoiler here. Uh, and one of the most brutal moments, I think, of the entire Clone Wars, he lifts her up by the, with a force choke and basically kills her right in front of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I didn't even like Satine as a character, but even I stood up when I seen that, I went, oh, fuck, when that happened, because like, this is meant to be, a, at the end of the day, as much as we enjoy it, no matter what age are, it's technically a kid's show when you really think about it, the way it's presented. It's on, pretty sure it was on Cartoon Network when it was originally mm. on. A very violent moment there. Bo-Katan then leads the people of Mandalore against Maul, and also again the sister of the former ruler of Mandalore, is why she sees herself as the rightful ruler. And then, I guess, the Darksaber is seen as the a weapon that, you know, whoever wields it may rule Mandalore, as we mentioned before. You know, the Empire takes over Mandalore, and then in the Rebels, they, they do their best to free them. You know, we've got Sabine Wren, as I mentioned, and uh, Bokutan takes possession of the Darksaber at some point towards the end of Rebels, but at some point, the Empire's come back with likes of Mocha and everything, and they talk about the Night of a Thousand Tears, now basically are damaged the planet has been because of the Empire. Obviously now the Empire's gone, they're trying to take back Mandalore, which hopefully they explore more in future seasons of the Mandalorian. But there you go, it's all introduction into who Bo Katan is. But as I said, yeah, I mean it goes to show how uh, I don't know if about you, but I was shocked when uh, they killed off uh, Bo's sister in such a, a violent manner. Yeah, I mean, as I say, it's sort of um, promoted as like a children's thing, but it is quite mature in places as well. It's definitely something, uh, if you could put your prejudice against animated uh, stuff aside, like 
like I did, because I, I always think our animations for kids, and I don't tend to watch a lot of it. But I was, I was really surprised about how well acted and and thought out a lot of the episodes are. Of course, there's a lot of episodes, and there are some that are a bit sort of filler and throwaway. But yeah, I mean, there's some quite grown-up themes in it as well. So it's mm-hmm. um, really good, and it'll also help you get to know. Ahsoka Tano as well, who mm-hmm. whose name's mentioned in this episode. Um, uh, it's obviously featured uh, in a couple of episodes' time, so it's it's really a good idea to sort of watch her, you know, at least watch her episode, so you can get mm-hmm. a really good idea of uh, who Ahsoka Tano is, because that's quite an exciting. It must have been quite exciting uh, to hear her name mentioned. And uh, a chance to see uh, such a sort of pivotal and popular character uh, portrayed in live action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'd heard that she was going to be coming into the show. I didn't know how big a role she would have. And so when they were teasing that Jedi, I thought, well, it has to be her. And if it wasn't her, I would have been very surprised. Uh, I do have some info, obviously, from background I can provide people who have watched The Clone Wars, who it's okay, but I think I'll save that for a couple of episodes time when we actually get to see her, because we've already got stuff to delve into with like the books and everything. But uh, I do actually do remember uh, when there was all, one of the other rumours about uh, Sasha Banks appearing in this show, given obviously the, like, the Mandalorians and everything. So I, I heard some people rumouring that she was going to be a live-action version of Sabine Wren, the Mandalorian character from Rebels, but also that didn't prove to be true. There is also the case that she could, uh, Sabine could show up in live action and uh, the Ahsoka series because Dave said he wants to continue some of the narrative points he didn't get to uh, finish for Rebels during the Ahsoka series. So, but also like Costco Reeves, I don't think this character has appeared before, so this might be a new character like, created for the show. She plays it uh, well. Much kind of like the last episode where I said, oh, it started off well and then kind of fell off a cliff. I was very hesitant when I went in to watch this episode at the time because you know, we saw the frog people and I wasn't sure um, who, what Mandalorians were getting. I didn't know about Bo-Katan. But as soon as you have the boat scene onwards, that is when I think the episode really picks up. And yeah, so much good stuff happens in this episode. Because like, the fact when they smack the thing that the kid's in and he goes flying into the water, I'm like, they're not going to kill off the child, are they? Because... When I thought of it in the in Sanctuary, again, voiced by Bryce Dallas so Bryce Dallas has a thing about teasing the death of the child. But see, uh, we thought about how well he's, we don't know, we didn't really know much about him going into it. So, you know, he, they could have easily killed him off. But at this point, everybody loved the child. They loved the dynamic, the father-son's kind of thing between him and Mando. So when they, when he gets, like, pushed in that thing with that creature, you're like, oh, God, no. Yeah, it's a it's a worrying moment because you never know on these sort of um, programs if if you know they're going to be a bit brave and surprise you by killing off one of your favourite or main characters. And just going back to um, Sabine Wren for a second, it's a character I really started to like on Star Wars Rebels. So I'm hoping that she makes an appearance at some point, whether it's. Uh, on uh, the Mandalorian or the the Ahsoka Tano, because I think they at the end of Rebels, I think they went off together, didn't they, to look for Ezra Ezra Berg. So um, hopefully uh, she'll she will turn up because uh, really fun character. 
because she has her own yeah. sort of Mandalorian gear, and she likes she's into art, so she sort of put her own sort of colours on the armor, and always has her hair funky colours. So it'd be mm-hmm. quite a quite a cool character to see. So hopefully they do, and um, hopefully we'll see more of the Night Owls. I mean, they could even do a a spin-off of the featuring the night owls if they wanted to because katie sackoff certainly a, an actress who could carry her own show in my view mm-hmm. so there's a lot of a lot of potential there isn't there with the mandalorians and certain characters yeah because i mean it was a so interview went out for ezra because he disappeared all inside of them and mm. was thrown who's referenced by ahsoka uh, in her episode and like she's looking for him and he's rumored to appear uh, and and Ahsoka one of the names rumored was Lee Pace a favorite of this podcast uh, <laughs> rogue opinions hero and ambassador <laughs> Lee Pace hashtag Lee Pace for, for Admiral Thrawn but <laughs> the idea also is that you know, people speculating like if Thrawn is somehow around and she knows about him and she's looking for him then that means Ezra is around as well. So, like the Sabine or Ezra or whoever else that maybe appeared, and I don't think they'll have all the all the, the key characters in from Rebels in the Ahsoka series. But if you got one or two in, that'd be cool. I mean, uh, I do believe they killed off uh, Kanan Jarrus, Freddie uh, Prince Jr.'s character at some point, but maybe he'll appear as a, as a Force Ghost or something like that. Hmm. So, uh, but uh, I would like to see a spin-off series. I remember we saw this episode. Like I think the finale of this show came uh, just after all, you had all those announcements about all the different shows, like Ahsoka, Knights of the uh, Rangers of the New Republic, Bad Batch, all those other stuff. And I was actually expecting a Bo-Katan kind of Mando like spin-off. And when that didn't come, and like Boa Fett gets his one, that made me think maybe Bo-Katan will show up along with the Night Owls in season three of Mando. Because Mando's going to need new things now because his whole journey was tied to the child, which ends in an emotional way at the end of the season. So he's now going to need a new story. So I think they teased something with him and Bo-Katan coming to conflict in the finale. So if you can follow up on that in season three, I think it's a new... And also get hopefully you get Sasha Banks some more episodes because uh, she's talked about wanting to explore more acting, like trying to join the, the Screen Actors Guild, but I think you need to act in a certain amount of roles before you can join the Screen Actors Guild. And what's quite depressing when you think about wrestling and how much people are uh, people sacrifice for WWE, but Sasha's more likely to get health insurance working being part of the Screen Actors Guild than she is working for WWE. Probably would, yeah. Uh, it's definitely uh, a good part to put her in uh, a shot window for more acting roles in such a uh, a big hit as the Mandalorian. So it'd be cool to see if she lands any more, any more acting jobs and, and how well she does. Yeah. Cause like, I remember Becky before she got pregnant, like she was appearing in like bit parts and there was rumors that people at Marvel wanted her for a, an upcoming role. We don't, I don't know what, if that was ever true or those were just rumors, but also that got put on hold when she, she and Seth had their child. I only know that about screen actors skill and the health insurance is because of an episode of Friends. <laughs> Joey, there's an episode where Joey loses his health insurance during the time he gets a hernia because he gets a letter from the screen actor girl saying he didn't work enough the previous year because he'd got fired from the show that he was on. So that's weirdly how I learned things. Like I learned shit from TV. You know, I only know what Aurora Borealis is because of The Simpsons. 
<laughs> everything, everything's got those it's, it's from Frasier Friends and the Simpsons ladies and gentlemen it's all coming out I didn't go to school my, my parents sat me in front of the TV all day and said you know absorb shit <laughs> and I think uh, you can, we can all agree I turned into a very well adjusted human being oh definitely <laughs> <laughs> I must admit I'm pretty certain I've learnt more watching TV than I ever did at school but I, I didn't quite I didn't really pay a lot of attention at school if I'm completely honest but that's, that's another story yeah we haven't actually talked as much about the episodes that we talked about the characters that appear we don't think we talked as much about the episode because it's kind of all go, you know, Ando's looking for the Mandalorians, he comes across and they help him out not once but twice and then they got the the action scene on the the ship. And uh, you know, they get again shows how useless stormtroopers are. And I think we learn why they moved away from so effective clones into these very shite stormtroopers in the bad batch. But like <laughs> you see like you talked about how their armor provides no protection. Like, there's even gaps where Bo Katan can like stab one of them with her knife, and like how easily they're blasted right in the chest plate and then just go down. Like, like you said an episode or so ago, like what is even the point of stormtroopers and their, their their armor? They might as well just go out in regular clothes because that'd be just enough to protection. Yeah, it's even referencing uh, the episode when they're talking to Mando about. Uh, their plan to take the ship, and mm-hmm. he's, he asks, "Can't you stow away?" And Sasha uh, Banks' character, Kasuri, says, "Nah, they scan for life forms now because we've been hitting them pretty hard." And he asks about um, guards and and whatnot. He goes, "Yeah, there'd be a small platoon of stormtroopers, but they can't even hit the side of a banther." So, as we <laughs> said in other episodes, it's it's more sort of. Um, in jokes and references about stormtroopers being crap shots. Yeah, because like even uh, Mayfield made a joke. He was, he was said, "Oh, he was an imperial sharpshooter," and he goes, "Oh, that's not saying much." Like I wasn't a stormtrooper. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that Bantha is like those little-looking creatures that uh, Quill would ride, and uh, in the previous season, so obviously they move very slow. So I think that's if you put what you're paying of close attention across both seasons, you kind of get more about these kind of in jokes and uh, also like using phrases like Dank Fair because I said as a as a uh, Star Wars account, I think God damn it. And I do think the, the the taking of the ship is a very well choreographed kind of action scene, you know, them because they're docking down, you know, you got one of the guys raging into the cockpit basically thinking that there's ten people taking over the ship because they're so they're taking over so easily but there's only four of them. Uh and then like they go and they try and get into the uh, the cargo hold, but they get shut out, and they think they've like got them where they want them. Goes, where have you got them? In the cargo control area. Where? And just as he mid sentence, the door opens, and they all go shit in there. Yeah, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a coward that sort of lieutenant one, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Shut the doors! Just shut all the doors! <laughs> didn't want didn't want anything to do with uh, getting involved in the shootout at all, did he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, also, like you got Moff Gideon getting involved, you know, it's nice to, to keep him around because again, at this point, you've not seen him since he he crashed. I think uh, Mando at this point doesn't see him, uh, and uh, Bo-Katan says he doesn't see Moff Gideon, and uh, like, he asks, "Does he have the dark saber?" And the guy before he kills himself says, "If you have to ask, then you already know." 
but Mando doesn't hear Moff Gideon's name because I think by as far as Mando knows, Moff Gideon is still is dead that he died in the crash of the, the TIE fighter. And, you know, that's an interesting idea. Like, when you have one thing, one thing with the characters, like, let the audience know that a character like still alive, but the characters, certain characters don't know. And that leads to a bigger moment when, obviously, he comes confronted with him later in the season again. Yeah, and he's, it's also interesting when um, she's threatening to to kill that sort of uh, commander or captain uh, for the information. And he's he's even though she's got him in a compromising position, he's still more scared of Moff Gideon. And he says, you might kill me, but he'll do far worse. Mm-hmm. So it sort of shows you the type of person they're dealing with, with Moss Gideon. I'm still not completely sure how high up he is overall in the chain of command of these um, Imperials, but he's, he's obviously pretty high up if he's, if he's not in total total charge. Yeah, because they have all these different ranks, you know, like I said, Grand Admiral Thrawn, you know, they have a very high-ranking member of the Empire. Obviously, the top two positions originally were the Emperor, Vader, they like say Moff, you know, I think that's a, a position below Gramoff, which we know about uh, yeah. Moff Tarkin, uh, played by Peter Cushing. Uh, and uh, so, so it's one of the high-ranking positions, but, you know, it's not the highest-ranking. But also it would depend how much of the Empire is left, because we don't know what position the uh, the other guy, the, uh, the German-sounding guy who like we thought was the original buyer of, of Grogu before Moff Gideon just had him gunned down. And... Because like, we don't know how much of the Empire is left, so we don't know how many of the generals are still alive. Because we, in, in Return of the Jedi, we're assumed, led to assume that most of the uh, most high ranking people in the, the Empire die when the second Death Star blows up. So, you know, we still, because Moff Gideon again, at the end of the season, doesn't die, so Moff Gideon can still be around as well. So maybe we'll find out just how much of the uh, the Empire is around, because an important thing we get in the next episode is a little hint into uh, what they've been working on and what. Uh, development, which will then lead to mm. something that's useful uh, when the First Order pop up in the sequel trilogy. Yeah, and, and does these uh, romance of the the Empire, do these become the First Order? Mm-hmm. It, it's, all, it's all quite interesting to see if they'll uh, let us in on that and how sort of, sort of things develop. Um, with yeah. Uh, yeah, with the Imperials and that, but Moff Gideon is certainly pulling a lot of strings if he's not in total charge, and um, it's the boys and that's definitely afraid of him. And it's quite interesting when he tells uh, the captain, played by Titus, will leave uh, you know what to do, and he quickly kills uh, his two pilots, doesn't he? And then takes control and uh, has no hesitation in going into like a kamikaze a kamikaze mission so uh, they're, they're pretty they're, they're pretty hardcore these imperials if they're willing to do that mm-hmm. to, pro- to protect information and and whatever so uh you know they're dealing with uh fanatics really yeah because they like, also they want to use the metals want to use the ship and the weapons that come with it and like pokedan talks about like how powerful these weapons are just like just we took out your like whole ship to get these weapons, to think about what a whole army of us, these weapons could do, and obviously try to threaten them and show that they are should be taken seriously when they tend to you know, take back Mandalore and everything. And 
because like Mando claims that Mandalore is basically just beyond repair, you know, that says that like, once the once Empire knew they couldn't have it, they made sure no one else could either, basically uh, implying that he believes that he's been told that, you know, that Mandalore is basically bare now and, you know, basically all but destroyed. But Bo-Katan basically says, don't believe everything you hear, which means there is some you know, resemblance of people still left on Mandalore who need a, he believes need a leader and thinks it should be, it should be her. But uh, they take back the ship and uh, it goes to show, you know, this captain, he's trying to over being carried, you can tell a little bit there's a lot of fear in him. He doesn't want to do what he's been ordered to do, but he knows that he's so loyal. You know, a lot of these imperials, you know, they're very much, you know, all in on the empire that they have to agree with what they're they're told, even when they they don't want to. Even if it means that they're going to die. And it goes to show, like, like Mark Gideon last season when he just gunned down like his own troops. You know, when they were trying to shoot into the cantina, like Mark Gideon has no qualms with just letting people die. And like Bukatan, like are so hell bent on getting these weapons, but Moskin's like, oh well, we're taking this much of your ship, you know, it's not worth us, you know, bringing more people out to re- to help you and to take back that ship and get back the weapons. So, I'd rather you all get like, crash the ship and you all die. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty mad. And sort of talking about fanatics, we we learn a little bit more about um, Mando and his sort of uh, creed. Uh, in this episode as well, uh, the watch, which says mm-hmm. Jesus, as they, they say in there, and you said earlier that bit like zealots and very much into their own sort of ideals compared to the rest of Mandalorians, like following a strict code and not um, removing the helmets. It's almost like some little sort of offshoots of um, religious orders where they they take some of the texts a bit more literally than than mm-hmm. others. So it is, so it's quite interesting and it'll be interesting to see if he sort of relaxes a little bit on his uh on his ways as mm-hmm. um the series carry on. Yeah, cuz like he's kind of basically grown up in this bubble almost only like learning what they've taught him cuz in the Clone Wars media where you go to Mandor it's only ever like say police or you know, members of like groups like Death Watch or the Mandalorian Army. Not every day, not every citizen of Mandalore wears that armor, which certain people like kind of Carl Weathers character might assume that they do because he assumes that Mando is, is, was born on Mandalore. Uh, but you know, obviously he's been. We've seen this group of his. Also, we just know that oh, this is the way that Mandalorians go. But then we're learning a new, a new side. If you're not familiar with what the Mandalorians are, you're getting every day. Mando maybe learned to like question some of the things that he was brought up learning because he didn't know what Jedi's were but Bo-Katan, you know, I asked him what do you know of the Jedi, he said nothing but she knows about them because she's dealt with you know, like Ogun Kenobi, she fought alongside the likes of Ahsoka Katano both in the like, end of Clone Wars and in Rebels a little bit uh, you know, trying to take back Mandalore and obviously so she's got that relationship with Ahsoka and well enough to know where she, she currently is so, you know I guess the show like don't believe everything that you're told. And so the man might have some doubts about, you know, his, you know, the way he's been raised, especially if we, wait, we get to see more members of the, the watch in season three, you know, because also he doesn't find, he's expecting to find more people of the, the coming he grew up with, but instead he finds these guys who have this whole different philosophy. Yeah, it'd be quite cool to 
see him take off his helmet a little bit more often as well in future series, uh, mm. perhaps, so he can get a bit more expression from the uh, from the actor underneath the armor. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we'll we'll see what they decide to do and and how that develops. But it's yeah. all this is absolutely it's all very interesting and it as we say it opens a lot of doors, especially with the, the mention of uh, a circus Tano, which uh, is another really good episode in a couple of episodes time, and I'm really looking forward to reviewing that. And there's also a nice little sort of nod to uh, aliens near the start <laughs> where. Uh, Grogu's having his, his lunch and, a, and like a face hogger comes out of the soup and wraps, wraps around his face and <laughs> no, just, just deadpans stop playing with your food and pokes it back into the pole which I thought was hilarious yeah because then, then later on he's sitting at the same place with the, the night owls and thinks that uh, Sasha Banks' character is eating a similar thing and uh, <laughs> Grogu's just staring at her, and she's got a part of her mouth, and she just sucks into her mouth like it's no bother. And I think kind of a larger creature, face like creature, kind of pops into the cockpit because you know the part of the window at the front of it's cracked because of the damage to the razor crest. And as it lowers itself onto Grogu, Mando just grabs it, and then in the very next shot of it, he, Mando turns to Grogu, and Grogu's gone in his mouth and everything. Which <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a weirdly comedic end into what has all otherwise been a very, very much an action-heavy episode. It's, it's also it's also humorous to see the cockpit also held together by various bits of string and stuff as well. It's it's a very makeshift job he's done on uh, repairing and making the the razor crest flyable. Yeah. I remember like this is a weird bit going back to what we said earlier. Like firstly, we talked about booking down a lot and Cosgrove and the other one. Uh, like <laughs> I, I do still think it was weird. I do think it'd be a waste of opportunity if we don't see more of them uh, in the next season. Because I remember like, they've got a, a season going on about a, a season, like ep- episode season going on about that Cathy and Andor, who's one of the characters from uh, Rogue One. Who I'm assuming it's from before Rogue One, because I'm pretty sure he got fucking killed as the as the Death Star shot on the planet that he was that he was on at the end of it. Obviously, we haven't seen Rogue One. But, like, I remember at the time, like, not hearing anything about what was going to happen with Bo-Katan in the show. This is before we also seen her in the finale. But, like, I remember, like, who the fuck was asking for a show about this guy? I mean, even <laughs> Lando uh, is a stretch, I think, getting his show, because I've never been... Like, I like Billy D. Williams, like Donald Glover, the guys who played him. never thought Lando was that big a deal as a character. Like, I don't care that he he lost the fucking... the. I don't care that Han beat him in a game of the back for the Millennium Falcon. I don't need to see an origin movie where I see it happen, which is, which goes two and a half hours long. <laughs> Sorry, no. <laughs> Although, I should mention, we mentioned a bit some of the stuff that's come up. Uh, we haven't mentioned in the past uh, that we've got two Star Wars films coming out in the next few years. One's uh, Rogue Squadron, directed by Patty Jenkins, uh, director of Wonder Woman, and uh, Taika Waititi is finally directing a Star Wars film at some point in the next few years, which at the moment we don't know anything about. It's just created as Taika Waititi Star Wars film. But yeah, I think I'm definitely looking forward to what he does with a, a Star mm-hmm. Wars film. Uh, I think he's uh, 
really good director i've liked a lot of the stuff he's done so uh i'm quite intrigued to to what he does i say it's better jenkins to be honest uh, i i enjoyed the fir- the original wonder woman i haven't seen the second one yet i can't remember yeah. if she okay di- i think she directed the second one as far as I, I can recall but i've heard that wasn't as good but but still and uh i think this episode's well directed i think bryce Dallas i was certainly um didn't have to be a chip of the old block um, <laughs> as far as because her father uh, he's a really good director he's directed some of the the best movies down the years so she's definitely um, picked up some tips and uh, yeah uh, all the episodes she's done so far I think have been really good mm-hmm. and well directed yeah you have a lot of like similar directors coming back you know because she directed last season. She came back. Uh, Brooke uh, Fuyema, I think that's his name, comes back at some point. He mm. gets a couple of episodes. Dave Filoni, you know, people like that get you know, a similar episode. So, you know, they've got this great group of directors who the type of understand the series. I wouldn't mind her coming back at some point next season. I talk about Wonder Woman, the same one in 1984. I'm pretty sure to tie into this, Pedro Pascal is one of the villains of the show, of, of, of that film. I don't know what I don't know what his character is. I think it's maybe Maxwell Lord or some similar character to that, one of those low level kind of DC villains. But uh, we all know what the Tiger Watiti Star Wars one should be. IG Eleven is still alive. We're going to get a road trip, maybe all about IG Eleven. You know, give the people what they want, Tiger. Uh, and IG Eleven, and oh, what's that character he voices in Thor? That's uh, uh, that's what we. Yeah, that's that's it. We need we need, we need a crossover film with them too. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I do agree with Peter. I mean, I know obviously Joker, I know and everything around her. There's all this controversy, but uh, the episode that Peter first first read it introduced her character, and they did represent her. I know as a strong character, you know, not not just a strong female character, but a strong character in general. And then she's handled this episode which is the introduction of Boat Catan and Costa Rica and everything. So it's, it's quite interesting that they've given her these episodes which feature very strong female characters being introduced to the show. And I think she's, like, again, like you said, like, handled it very well. She's very, obviously got that in her, her blood, you know, being as a director. We all know Ron Howard's true masterpiece is that 2003 Grinch movie starring Tim Carey. But <laughs> let's see if Grace Delta can direct an episode of Mandalorian that, that lives up to those Grinch-level heights. Definitely, it's. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I think we summarised the episode fairly well. Um, I think we talked. I think we talked uh, twenty thirty percent about the actual actions of the episode, and the rest of it was all about the characters themselves and other versions of Star Wars medium. <laughs> but yeah, which is I think quite right. There's a there's a lot to a lot to get through, and. Um, on some point, um, if you want to know what the opening or ending music is, I'm not sure where Scott's going to throw it in, but that's Sasha Banks wrestling theme music. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the opener, because I wanted to make that joke about uh, yeah. looking like the, uh, the villain from one of the, from the what I believe is the best series of Power Rangers besides the original. Uh, we're going to play with the Power Rangers and basically they play us out. <laughs> because it's an absolute anthem, even to this day, fight me. 
I've never, I've never actually watched that that version of Power Rangers. I, I, I remember watching the original back in the day with Lord Zed and what have you. But uh, no, Power Rangers in Space was a a bit <laughs> after my time, I think. I remember being on a, a friend's film podcast uh, last year, and they were talking about we did some news stories in amongst a review of, of jobs that we were doing. And we mentioned one of the stories was they wanted to do, because all studios want to do fucking cinematic universes now. And I was talking about Power Rangers one. And I went, yes, let's just basically do movie versions of all the different series. And then that was basically my way of basically campaigning for a Power Rangers in space movie. <laughs> usually franchises take ages to get to send their characters into space. They just went, this is the fourth ver- variation of Power Rangers we've done. Fuck it, send them to space. Because <laughs> like Master Furious is doing a tense movie where apparently they're teasing going to space. It took... Jason Voorhees said maybe to go to space but fucking Power Rangers doesn't wait around uh, I'm assuming the original Power Rangers film didn't do as much money as they hoped because they haven't they have, I haven't heard much talk of a sequel so uh, I honestly haven't seen it <laughs> it's uh, I, it's not the best I watched it on Netflix because one of my work colleagues was telling me he thought it was great and mm-hmm. I, I, after watching it uh, I had to disagree and try to get those two two hours of my life back. I, I do feel like I'm obliged in one way to, to eventually see it because I'm, you know, a kid who grew up in Power Rangers, and also I have a various Funko Pops. I got some Funkos from the original Power Rangers. I got a Lord Zeg, Goldar, kind of things like that. But uh, I've also got randomly someone gave me a couple of Power Rangers from the new movie because they knew I was a fan of Power Rangers and I collected Funkos. So never got the red and blue from the film. Now I'm not only obliged to watch the film because I'm so such a stickler for copying collections. I don't need to go out and buy the other fucking three. <laughs> at some point. And I can't. And then I need to watch the film because I can't have a collection of Funkos from a movie I haven't watched because that's just not how my brain functions. It won't allow me to do that. <laughs> yeah, I must admit when I start collecting things, if I end up with more than more than one. I, I do feel I think I do feel like I've got to get the whole set all of a sudden for some some bizarre reason. But uh, yeah, I just I just like collecting things. You know, because like I've got uh, one Funko I got was uh, Agent Venom, the uh, alternate version of Venom uh, where Flash Thompson's under the symbiote. So it's like uh, Agent Anti Venom, which is basically the colours reversed on the white and black rather than black and white. So try to find one of those Funkos online. May as well type in the eBay. Do you have a unit going available? <laughs> Honestly. But, you know, we can talk about this all another time. But we uh, we haven't actually done our ratings for this episode. I'm sure we both loved it, but that's okay. See, I mean, we, our highest rated episode, I think, so far, been like the finale episode of, you know, the last season, the two together. And then I think before that, Carl was probably the closest to perfect thing so far for you has been... I think the first episode of the season, so where does this episode rank it amongst all that? I think this episode, at time of speaking, is, well, this episode, at this point in time, before we get to any other episodes, is my favourite, and I would mm-hmm. give it, I'd give it 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. I, I can't argue, I can't argue with that, I mean, I know I wasn't a fan of the frog people, because I thought they, they played no real role in the, the story really they had no value but yeah I don't think I can argue again even them being included because like they got to be they got you need somebody to take care of Grogu they're not really 
is forced into the plot as the frog lady was in the last episode. Yeah, I think ten out of ten. Because given how um, much this set up, you know, not just for Mandalorian but outside of it as well. I think, yeah. yeah. It it expands on the Star Wars mythology. It adds new characters and storylines to uh, the Mandalorian series, and it's really well acted and, and put together. And yeah, I forgot at the end, uh, Grogu makes a little friend with um, the Frog People's little hatchling. Mhm. Uh, here you go. I think there's going to be one or two other episodes that I think are. Around about that 10 out of 10, or if not a 9 out of 10 kind of mark, which will be uh, interesting uh, for us to talk about. A lot of fun, hopefully, as well. But I hope you've enjoyed this fun uh, all over the place. You know, thank God it's the weekend edition of the Mandalorian podcast. We're going on a Friday. I don't know when it's going to go up because we do have the anniversary awards coming out at uh, some point uh I think this weekend, or if not Monday, uh, where the twenty third is, because you know that is the official anniversary of the page. We've also got a wee review. Uh, me and Nathan did all the way back in a previous podcast before we even started that we're talking about re-uploading either just before, or just after the awards. So this should be up and then uh, should be here, hopefully not too long after it was recorded. But uh, Carl, other than that, what else uh, is going up with opinions? In which case, uh, where can the people hear your opinions and hear your lovely voice? You can find me at uh, Carlos underscore five eighty on uh, Twitter and Instagram. You can find us at Rogue underscore Opinions on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, I have other podcasts. You can listen to me talk football on the now defunct Bantam Munich podcast. If you want to go back and listen to those, there's the Rogue Chronicles, which I record with Liam, where we talk about villains. Um, we've got one up. Recently, I think, did, has he put it, did Nathan put it up yet? I, I did give him one to, to put, I'm going to have to double, I'm going to have to look into that. I can't remember if it got um, released or not now, but it, on uh, Primal Fear anyway, it was, it's the latest one. I'm going to stop rambling, so you can check that out if it's available yet. If not, I'll have to chase up Nathan for that. And um, yeah, make sure when it's released, you check out our anniversary pod. You're not going to want to miss it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's definitely a, a wild ride, to say the least. Uh, we are totally professional here at Rogue Pains, but I do look forward to that, that, that pod, hearing that podcast when it comes out. And you can also find me on the Rogue Witch Smackdown review. I think we're recording an episode around this weekend, so hopefully around a bit as usual, Sunday slot, it should come out. If you know, I can remember to get my arse in gear. Uh, Oops. Ignore <laughs> that. I pressed something by mistake. Well, I'll I'm, old, I'm an old man and I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, and we've got some other stuff planned. Uh, we've got some uh, planning a grapple update at some point. We're about to have a double or nothing. You know, it's been a while since we had that. I think we're about to change every time we did a, a grapple update. Uh, me and Nathan are going to get together sometime next week to review Money Plane, which, oh boy, let me tell you, is definitely a film. And we'll talk all about that film, starring Edge and Kelsey Grammer and a bunch of other people who I don't know. And it'll be a rip-roaring time, I'm sure it is. So I hope this, this podcast has been for you. Uh, and, Carl, I think this 
uh, I don't know how to sign off this podcast. <laughs> I think we just sign off because, you know, as you might tell with the way we've conducted ourselves on this uh, podcast, that podding ain't easy. It's not, but this is the way. Ten, nine, eight.